Well, good morning. Good to see each and every one of you here this, uh, this beautiful Sunday morning. It is definitely a pleasure to be able to come up and to be able to share the word this morning. Um, it, uh, if you would, join me. Uh, grab your Bibles if you have them with you or a phone or there should be a Bible in, uh, in the seat rack underneath you. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. We are, um, Pastor Rick mentioned a few minutes ago, that we're jumping back into the series in Abraham. We took a brief break last week, as Pastor Rick mentioned, uh, to talk a little bit about Lent and, the, uh, and everything surrounding it. So I do encourage you, if you haven't heard that sermon, to go back and listen to it. But we're back in Abraham, and we've been really, uh, kind of dealing with the story of Abraham and really considering the origins of our faith. Um, Abraham, if you have been tracking along with us or if you know the story, you know that Abraham was a relative nobody that God called out of, out of his people, out of his father's house and said, all right, Abraham, let's go. And he went. He packed up his family, did not know where he was headed, did not know what, what he was in for, but he took a step of faith and headed out. And a couple, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked a little bit about how Sometimes a journey of faith is a journey filled with obstacles. It's a, it's a journey filled with trials. And Abraham, to Abraham, those were not moments to stop, but instead it was moments to engage with the obstacle. It was moments to engage and, and deal with it in faith. It was moments that helped him grow. And so this morning, I have a simple question for you. On this slide, it says, Abraham, the origin of our faith. And I want to deal with that part a little bit. Our faith. So often when we talk about Christianity, we talk about Judaism, we often draw our, our roots back to Abraham. And my question is for all of us sitting in this room right now, 11.30 on, on a Sunday morning here in Burlington, thinking about the people in this room, what is our connection to Abraham? How do we connect back to Abraham. I would, I would dare to wager that a lot of us here, if not most of us, maybe all of us, have no connection whatsoever physically. We're not part of the genealogy. We're, we may not consider ourselves Jewish. We may not be a part of that fa the, uh, Jewish culture. We may, as a, as a matter of fact, the scripture has a word for us, has a label for us, and that's the label Gentile. Most of us are Gentiles. So my question for us to deal with today is this. How are we connected to this faith? How are we connected to the story of Abraham? Well, if you would, let's turn to Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 15, 1 through 3. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Let's take a pause real quick. After these things, it's good for us to kind of pay attention to what's going on. We know the story a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Rick shared about how Abraham and his group of 
men, 318 of them, they went to war against five kings, five kings and their armies. So you can already imagine what that war was like. And now here comes Abraham back, victorious. He went out, he achieved what God had called him to do. He brought back Lot and all the people, and now he's back at home. While he may be back at home physically, there's something in him mentally and spiritually that's churning. He's a, bit, he's a man of war. He's experienced war in a different way. He's experienced the trials and the challenges of war, and his mind is running. His mind is, he's in his mind, he's asking this question, something seems off. My expectation of who I am and where I'm supposed to be does not match the reality of where I am. Have you ever experienced that dissonance in your lives where, where you expect things to be a certain way, you're told things would be a certain way, but when you really look out, when you really examine your life, it doesn't match up? Or maybe there, you have a friend or a, a relative who believes one thing or he says or she says that they believe one thing, but they live it out completely different. As a matter of fact, they may be doing the exact opposite. For some of us, it may be that we experience this within ourselves, where we want to do the right thing. We want to live the right way. We want to be the right person. We want to be that good husband, be the good wife, be the good child or the good parent. And somehow there's anger creeps in or we see the wrong things or we do the wrong things. And there's that dissonance that we deal with. How do you and I deal with this? Well, Abraham, Abram at this point, has a way to deal with it. So in uh, as a matter of fact, let's take a, uh, take a pause. He says he's, he takes his frustrations to the Lord. This is what he says. He's sitting in his, in wherever his situation is, and he's fearful. He's worried. He's, he's thinking about the promises that God has given him. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 12, a few weeks ago, we read that when God called him, God called him out with a promise, and here's the promise in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, this is what it says. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Get out, go out from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This is his call. He responds to this call and just, just packs up and leaves. And I will make for you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I will make of you a great nation. Here's a promise that God gave Abram. God calls him saying, let's go, Abram, and here's why I'm taking you out. Here's the promise that I give you as you step out. I know you're childless, but out of you a great nation will rise. And out of your, out of your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. And here we are, we fast forward, this is at age 75 when Abram gets this call. Now as we come to this story, Abram's approximately 84 years old. Nine years have passed since his call. And here Abram's having fought war and having fought all these cha the chaos and everything. He's sitting here and his mind is his running. He says, God, where is your promise? You said that I would have an heir. And in this moment, God is responding to him and says, Abram, do not fear. I am with you. Your reward will be great. As a matter of fact, be, will be very great. 
And Abram's response is this. You say things. You, you keep promising me. But how can this promise come true if there is a big component of this promise missing? You see, the fact that I don't have a child is a big problem. How are nations going to be blessed out of me when I don't have a child for that blessing to flow through? You say the families of the earth will bless through, be blessed through me, but how? As a matter of fact, things are so bad that according to our custom, when I die, Eliezer, my servant, my chief of staff at my, at my house, he's going to get everything. So all I'm seeing as roadblocks, all I'm seeing is the exact opposite of what you have said would happen. Some of us feel that way right now. Some of us have had promises that we've been holding on to, promises in scripture about healing, but yet we're sick. We have promises in scripture about provision, yet we're struggling when we're day to day, we're, trying, we're just scraping by. There are promises of I will be with you, and yet our anxiety is at its peak. There are promises in scripture that we, we, we're told, hold on to them. And your question is, for how long? Because it's been years of this. Abraham is saying, it's been nine years since you promised me, and yet nothing. As a matter of fact, that promise, he would have to wait for it even, even longer. Because you see, when God promised him the first time that he would have a child, he was 75. He wouldn't have his child, Isaac, until he was 99, 100. When you and I experience this dissonance in our, in, in our lives, how do we handle this? When things don't seem to be the way they're supposed to be, how do we handle this? Abram's response is purely simple. He goes to God and says, God, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm upset. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And it's great because that's a prescription for the way we ought to live. Go to him with your frustrations. Because here's the reality. God is not afraid of your questions. God is not threatened by your questions against him. He is not threatened by them. He is not, he is not offended by your fear. As a matter of fact, he's inviting you to come so that he can comfort, so that he can reassure. When Abram is afraid, God says, do not fear. How do you deal with it? Let's move forward in, into verses four through six. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This is God's response back to Abram. This man, speaking of Eliezer, he will not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards the heavens and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Abram's, Abram's response. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. As Abram's sitting there wrestling and grappling with what his situation is, God's response is, hold on to the promise. God's response is, what I said will come true. You may think everything's heading towards Eliezer, but my response, my, my promise is that your son will come. As a matter of fact, what he does, he grabs Abraham, Abraham out of his tent, and it's the, in, in Hebrew, it's this idea of like a parent grabbing a child and bringing them and setting them outside. 
Every now and then, Jen and I were having to do that with Judah, where he's, he has, he's in the state of mind, and we we're trying to get him out of it. And so often, we just have to physically pick him up from one room and bring him to the other so that he would calm down. And that's what Abraham, God's doing with Abram here. And so he says, here you go, Abram, look up. Look up to the heavens and count the number of stars if you're able. If you've ever been camping or if you've ever been driven outside of the city away from all the light pollution, you know what the sight of that unobstructed view of the sky looks like. You know it's impossible to count those stars. And God looks at Abram and says, see those? That is my promise to you. Here's essentially what God is telling Abram. A promise delayed is not a promise canceled. A promise delayed is not a promise canceled. You see, so often when we're grappling with something, when we're holding on to something for so long, so often in our hearts, we often wonder, has God forgotten about me? Has God moved on to the next assignment? Has God forgotten? Am I not a priority anymore? And God's response is actually the opposite. As you're waiting, there is a bigger work to, that he is accomplishing in you. The absence is not absence. Instead, in, that, in where we feel like he's absent, he's actually doing his best work. He's preparing us. He's forming our character. He's forming us so that we're able to handle the blessing when it's ready to come. You see, for some of us, if we, if we were given exactly what we prayed for, we wouldn't be able to handle it. As a matter of fact, it would be to our detriment for God to answer that than it would be for our good. And so God says, wait. A delayed promise is not a canceled promise because God's timing is perfect. God's timing is right while we may not like it, while we may not agree with it, his, prime, his promise will come true in his time. What blessing are you waiting to receive? We're all waiting for something. God says, keep waiting. Keep holding on. Watch me work. You see, Abram's response was simply this. Moses records it this way. Abram believed the Lord. Abram believed the Lord. That was it. God said it. He believed it. That settled it. You see, sometimes it's one thing to believe in the Lord and to believe the Lord. You see, all of us, we believe in the Lord. We believe who God is. But sometimes when God tells us something, especially something that we may not agree with completely, it's hard to believe the Lord. The word scripture records, Abram believed the Lord. It's simple. He believed it. Let me go back to the, our original question. I want to deal with what is our connection? And our connection is in this. Genesis 15, verse 6, is the pivotal verse of the Abraham story. Because if Abram had not believed in what God had to say, all of this would be not. 
All of this would have gone some other way. Because of his belief, because of his response, that set forth emotion, that set forth a cascade of events, that set forth a whole nation, that set forth a whole generation, that set forth generation after generation. Because you see, in this moment, when Abram believed, God's response was, and he credited it to him for righteousness. Credited it to him for righteousness. It's just being righteous is being conformed to a moral standard, being conformed to who God is because God is righteous. And God is essentially saying, Abram, just like me, you're righteous. You're credited to righteousness. This does not mean that suddenly he became holy, that suddenly he was divine. None of that changed. As a matter of fact, if you follow his story coming up in the next few weeks, it's getting better. He's going to make some spectacularly horrible decisions. He's just like you and me. We sin all the time. Nothing about Abram changed in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense, what was once unrighteous is now righteous. Now, those of you who are old enough, or I shouldn't say old enough, how many of you have used a checkbook? Okay, that's less than half the room. Okay, for those of you who've used a checkbook, you may remember, remember the two columns that you have? You have the description, and what are the two columns? The credit and the, the debit and the credit, right? It's almost like, okay, so I'm gonna speak to the older generation right now. I'll come to your, the rest of you in a second. To the older, those of you who actually use checkbooks, this is what God is doing. In that credit column, God is writing righteous. Not that he deserved it, not that he did anything for it. All right, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, imagine you open up your phone and you get a notification from Venmo saying someone has deposited a million dollars into your account. There you go. <laughs> Essentially what happens, you don't deserve it, you didn't do anything to, you haven't worked for it, you didn't do anything for it, but someone calls you, calls you worthy. Someone looks at you and says, you are deserving of that. God looks at each of us in our response of faith. God looks at us through the work that he did on the cross, and he looks at you and me when we respond in faith and says, you are righteous. He credits us in our response of faith. He credits us with righteousness. That's what's happening here. So again, coming back to that question of how are we connected? You see, Abram's response of faith, many will talk about later. As a matter of fact, Paul, writing to the Galatians, he writes this. If, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs to his promise. Because Abraham believing, Abraham putting his trust in the Lord set off a cascade of events, as I mentioned. You see, out of Abraham's Generations or out of Abraham's loins would come Isaac and Jacob. I would, would come these generations, would come this line out of whom David the king would come, out of whom uh, uh, Joseph would come, out of whom Jesus would come. 
You see, in this line would come the work of salvation that God had already put in motion. God had mentioned it back in the garden saying when the, when the first sin was committed, he said at one point salvation will come. And then it was quiet. God was quiet for a while. Now to Abraham, he's saying Abraham has no concept of what is happening, but he's looking at Abraham saying, out of you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Out of you, every family on earth will be blessed. And by every family and every nation, what he's saying, the Jew and the Gentile will be blessed. Guess what? That includes you and me. That you and I would be brought back into God's kingdom through this act of obedience on Abram's Abram's part. As a matter of fact, Matter of fact, Paul, when he's writing to the Romans, he uses the idea or he uses the illustration of an olive tree. And an olive tree, there are branches. There are multitude of branches. And he says some of them will be cut out. But others, others that have no connection to this original tree will be grafted in. Branches that were discarded, branches that were growing on other plants, branches that were thorns or other trees or whatever, they are cut and grafted into this tree. What he's essentially saying is you and I, in our response of faith to what God has done, he's essentially taking us, plucking us from where we are, from our sin, from our destruction, from wherever it is. And he is grafting us into the family of Abraham. He is taking us out of irrelevance and he is making us relevant. He's taking us out of unrighteousness and he is putting us in, he's grafting us into righteousness. What he's saying is this tree, the olive tree, the roots that are soaking up all the ingredients and and the nutrients is going to supply these new branches. That is our connection back to Abram. You see, we are not physical children, but we are spiritual children. We have been adopted. We have been grafted into this family that God calls. Abram's story is our story because our God is a God of covenant. He's a God who keeps his promises. And in in that moment, I just introduced a new word, covenant. Let me take a moment to unpack that and we'll we'll move real quick. See, a covenant is something that's familiar to us. You may be aware of it or not, especially for those of you who may have stood up at an altar and you said, I do, to another person. When you said, I do, when you proclaimed your intentions of marriage and when you proclaimed your promises and you made those vows in front of of God or whatever your situation was, what you did in that moment was make a covenant. You may have gone out right after that and signed a piece of paper that declared that you were legally married, but what you were doing was you were making a covenant. And here, what's gonna happen in a second, we're gonna see a covenant being established. But you see, there's a small issue that needs to be dealt with. I'm gonna age myself here, but my first computer Whoa, someone's already looking at me. Someone's excited. That was my first computer. 20 years ago, I bought my first computer. My family bought the first computer. It was by a company named Compaq. Doesn't exist, was bought out, it's gone. 
um, Compaq made this computer. It was a great computer. I enjoyed it. My first one, so, uh, but what my parents did, they thought it wise, saying, I can't be trusted with this computer, essentially what they know I like to tinker. They know I like to take apart stuff. They also know that I don't know how to put everything back in the right place. <laughs> so they bought what they thought was the right thing, and they bought the extended warranty. So here I am a few years later. We have the extended warranty. Everything's going great. The computer's doing great. And I thought, it's time to upgrade. It's time to upgrade the memory. So I open it up. I pop some things in. Thing won't turn back on. And so here we are. So I said, all right, that's great. You went too soon, John. That's all right. So I grabbed my, I grabbed my computer. I grabbed my warranty. And I head back to this store. How many of you know this store? There's like five people here who know this store. That's because when I went back, I went back to an empty parking lot. The doors were boarded shut. The sign had been taken off because Circuit City at that point went bankrupt. So here I am, promise of a repair in hand and my computer and no one there to honor this promise. You see, a promise is only as good as the one making the promise. A guarantee is only as good as the guarantor. Many of us pr uh, own products that have lifetime warranties. So if, you, if you're telling me that if you live to be 150, will that company who made the product still be around to service it? You see, people make promises all the time. And it's great, you can say words, but living it out is another thing. Abram, in this moment, God is promising him, saying, God, God is saying, I will bless you, I will do this, I will make you great. Okay. God takes it a step further, and he says, all right, let's establish this. God tells Abram, in verses seven through 11, he said to them, I am the Lord who brought you out, from the, out of Ur from the, of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, and here's our question, how am, I know, how am I to know that I will possess it? How do I know this is true? How do I know what your promise, that your promise will actually be fulfilled? And God said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram, he brought, it, brought him all these, cut them in half, laid them half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half, and when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. It's a gory scene. And you're probably wondering, if you're not too familiar with the Bible, you're wondering, what is happening? And the reason we're wondering that is because we may not know fully the context that Abram lived in. You see, so often when we enter right now in our context, when we enter into a contract, what, is, what do we usually get? We get a lengthy legal form that has all this legalese, and we often sign on it. When you buy a house, when you buy a car, you have paperwork that you sign. There's a contract being signed. In Abram's day, obviously no paper. Most people didn't read, were not literate. So they did things a little differently. What they did was they would have the terms of the contract or the covenant set out. 
And then they would do this ceremony with these animals where they would cut the animals in half, lay them on the floor, create this aisle, and the parties, party A, party B, whoever is connected, would walk in between this carcass. They would walk, and here's what they are saying. They're saying to each other, we pledge to each other that we're going to hold to the terms of this covenant. We're going to hold to the terms of the contract. And if we do not, the same fate that these animals had will be ours. What happened to them, let it happen to us. That's essentially what they're saying. And so here's this, so as soon as God says, bring these animals, Abram says, okay, let's do it. God didn't have to tell him to cut it. He did it. And here we continue verses 12 through 21. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in, fourth, in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And here's the part of the covenant. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a, smoke, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and there's a lot of names you'll see on the screen. So essentially what God is saying, here's my promise. This land is your land. You see, this ceremony would have been witnessed by the locals, the community would have usually come, but in, in this instance, it's just God and Abram. And as Abram is, there's a deep sleep that comes upon him, a deep darkness that comes upon him, that sets upon him, and oh, he's in this moment, and God starts speaking to him and says, lays out what, what his generations are gonna go through, what the next 400 into 500 into his generations are gonna go through. And he tells them, this is what's going to happen. But before all of, after all that is done, what Abram sees, a smoking pot and a flaming torch, both symbolic of God's presence. God's presence suddenly appeared. And if that was not startling enough for Abram, that was not the biggest astonishing moment. What was more astonishing to Abram was that the smoking pot and the flaming torch suddenly came in between the carcasses, came upon that aisle. What was supposed to be party A and party B walking through that aisle together is suddenly only party A walking through the aisle. It's suddenly only the torch and the pot going through. This idea of God's presence just walking through. And you may wonder, this is weird. What is happening? What is God trying to say? God is essentially saying this. Abram, this covenant is between you and me. I'm blessing you with this covenant. I'm blessing you. I'm giving you all the blessings of this covenant. But you see the penalty of breaking this covenant, I'm going to take upon myself. 
God, in that moment, he is stepping into that place and he's saying, if I break this covenant, what happened to these animals will happen to me. And Abram's like, great, that's wonderful. That's not the practice because usually when a king or whoever made that covenant, they would bring, make sure everyone was in it. No one took the liability of the penalty on their own, but God did. But then in, in Abram's mind, this is probably the question. God, I have no doubt that you will do what you're telling me you will do. But here's my concern. What if I break this covenant? What if I don't live up to the terms? What if I don't live up to the person that you've called me to? What if I can't hold up my end of the bargain? And that's a true question if Abram asked that. And that's a question that becomes reality because generation after generation, no one held up their end of the bargain. No one held up, their, his generations would not hold up their end of the covenant. So here's the answer. Many hundred years later, a couple of millennia later, that's where it corrected me this morning. You see, a darkness will fall again. This time, not on Abraham, but instead by the cross at Calvary. The sun would go dark, the sky would go dark, and then darkness would fall. And in the midst of that darkness was God himself on the cross, taking the penalty of a covenant that was broken. Not by God, but by man. Not by the one who actually walked through the path, but instead those who he chose to bless. God says, the price of your sin, I will take. The price of us not living up to this ideal, I will take. The price of you and me, the price of the way we live, I will take. And that work that was done at Calvary, that is the blessing for you and for me. You see, with that penalty, he's completing the work. He's completing the terms of that, that, that agreement. And through, through, God, through the blessing that God gives Abraham, you and I, we are part of his family now. God declared to Abraham that through you, the generations and the families of the earth would be blessed, and here we are people who had no connection to uh, each other, people who have come from various countries and various situations and various legacies, and here we are together, brought together by the one thing that was promised to Abraham, the faith that ties us all together. How do you and I know that the God who promised will keep it? How do you and I, what guarantee do we have God walked down that center aisle. He said, all of this, it's on me. You see, salvation is not based on your cooperation. Salvation does not need your activity. It does not need your act. It does not need your, your, your work. So often we think that we do. We think that we have to play a part. What God is saying is, I don't need that because I'm gonna pay the penalty myself, and I'm gonna accomplish 
this myself. I'm going to invite the worship team back. See, God's promises are guaranteed by none other than himself. The covenant is guaranteed by none other than himself. In the Hebrews, he says there was usually when we make promises, the, writer, the author of Hebrews says this, when you make a promise, you usually appeal by the one higher than you, right? When you go into get a mortgage, you say, hey, these are my references, or this is what I have to put as collateral. Who does God put as collateral? God puts himself. He says, I, myself, I give. Myself, I give. You see, our God's covenant is guaranteed by none other than himself. The guarantee is only as good as the guarantor himself. And the guarantee is from God. So you and I, as we come to a close this morning, what is the promise you're waiting on? What is the thing that you've been seeking God about? What is it? As we come to this moment and as we come to worship and as we come to this close, I'd ask you to take a moment to reflect, to ask yourself, have you truly responded like Abram responded? Because you see, when Abram, when God proclaimed to Abram saying, this is what I will do, this is how I will bless you, this is what I will accomplish in you, his response was simply this, he believed. Today, God is asking nothing from you. He's not asking you to accomplish something heavy. He's not asking you to do something. He's asking you to do none of that, except to believe. As I close, there's this one final illustration. There was a study done back in 2009. And in the study, these scientists put a, got a group of people. They set them out on a field, some on a parking lot, just basically open areas. They put a blindfold on each and every one of these people and gave them an assignment. Walk a straight line. That's it. You don't have to interact with anybody. All you have to do is just walk a straight line. Most of us are thinking, easy. We can do it. Everyone started the same way. They all walked that straight line until they didn't. Because in just a few steps, they started veering left. They started veering right. They started going the opposite direction. And most of them missed the mark completely. Some of them made their way back to where they began. And the scientists just couldn't figure it out. And they said, this is the way people are. This is how we're wired. That's how we are. You see, we all want to walk the straight line. We all want to do the right thing. Most of us will actually try, and try to accomplish living the right way. But so often we forget about the blindfold of sin that is over our lives. We forget about the blindfold of sin that keeps us from doing what God has called us to do. We forget about the, the, the work of the enemy in our lives. We forget about we forget about it. And so often we'll try and try and try. But in reality, what needs to happen is for God himself to remove that blindfold.
if only we could see as God sees, if only we can be as God wants us to be, if only we would believe in what God wants us to believe, then we would walk that straight line. So my invitation simply is this. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, will you consider that today? Because his promise is this. Salvation is yours. Redemption is yours. How you've been living so far doesn't have to be your story for the rest of your life. How you've, been, how you've been broken doesn't have to be your legacy. How you've been sinful doesn't have to be who you are. He's offering you salvation. And my, my final call is this. Take a moment to consider if you have believed. And if you haven't, I would invite you to do so. And if you have questions, I'd love to come talk to you. Pastor Rick or any one of the people in this room would love to talk to you. But before we go, take some time to really think, to really consider. And if you would like to, as with every head bowed and every eye closed, throw that hand up. We'd love to come talk to you. We'd love to give you some resources. And if you are one of those people, do come see us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us of who you are. A promise-keeping God. A God worth trusting. And a God who is truly at work, even when we aren't aware of it. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Help us, Lord, in every day, in every moment, to live lives that fully trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we continue in worship?